0: Today's reading is going to be from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When he has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God or just as the name as the name God gave him is greater than their names. gentleman was uh, beginning to court date this young lady. He was smitten by her. He didn't have much to offer her in the way of financial security and safety. But he wanted her to know that all he had was hers. And that all he had he would be given to her. And so, so he says to her the following, Darling, he whispers to her, I lay my fortune at your feet. Your fortune, she replied in surprise. I didn't know you had one. Well, it isn't much of a fortune, but it will look large besides those tiny little feet of yours. Oh, dear, that was bad. Okay. You know, the Hebrews is doing some great comparisons. And sometimes when we do comparisons or we see comparisons, we compare something that is bad with, with something that is good. But the author of Hebrews doesn't start off this way. The author of Hebrews start off with, with two things. And the first thing that, that he's been talking about in chapters one and two is angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, the angels aren't bad, the angels are good. In fact, the angels represent in chapters 1 and 2 the revelation of God. God revealed himself, his purpose, his plan through the angels to the prophets, to the early spokesmen of God. And the angels spoke and the angels represented such power and such might. The angels would rejuvenate. Remember the story of of Elijah and, and Elijah being tired and weary and just fed up. And the angel wakes him up three different times and tells him to rise and eat. The angels ministered to Elijah, strengthened Elijah, so he could go back to be obedient to what God had called Elijah to go do. Elijah, and people knew and so it's great when you see in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, when angels come on the scene, what's the first thing that the angels have to tell them? (laughs) Don't be scared. AKA, don't freak out. Like, I know like the power, like you, I know what I represent to you, but don't freak out. Don't be afraid. Like I'm not here to wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm here to bring you this good news. I'm bringing it I'm bringing here to, to, to give you a message to share with people. And the message they brought was a great message. It was a powerful message. It was a message from the throne room of God. But when it says in these first four verses of Hebrews, I would love for you to commit those verses to memory. Because it is a beautiful statement about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he says those first four verses there, but you think angels are powerful. You think the revelation they brought was good. Oh man, it is nothing compared to the power of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely nothing compared to the revelation that jesus christ would bring because the angels were not the full representation of god himself but jesus christ is like jesus christ enters onto the scene and all of a sudden god is revealed in flesh to mankind i mean mind blown seriously guy think about this for a second God comes down, becomes fully God, fully man, and dwells with mankind. God is present. Like that, I forget her name. She sang that song, What if God was a Cheryl Crow or something like that? What if God was one of us? Osborne. Joan right, Joan Osborne. Like, what if God was one of us? He was one of like he walked and he was present with, which is mind-blowing. Like God came to dwell amongst his creation and subject himself to ridicule, to punishment, to the wrath of God being poured out upon him. So the book of Hebrews says, he is greater than angels. And angels were good, but Jesus is greater. Oh, yeah. You were listening last week. I listened to John's sermon last week, and I was like, John began with that very first thing: Jesus is greater. Last fall, when we came and we did our elder retreat together, one of the things I presented to the elder was this year-long series that we're in the midst of. And the year-long series is, Jesus is greater. And it's back over here. As you come in, you probably walked by it enough times. There is that sign up on the wall. And it says, cool, Jesus is greater. And it's, it shows all these different things that Jesus is the greater of. Amen. But we are focusing this year, and he is the greater prophet. And we went through Hosea together. Amen. And right now, he is the greater priest. Amen. And there is no better book in the Bible that talks about Jesus being the greater priest than the book of Hebrews. Dwight hit it on the the nail on the head. A lot of churches choose not to like dive into this material because it requires a lot of teaching. And and Dwight said, or I think it was Dwight that said, we're going to be in this nine weeks. Nah, not really. We're like 15-ish, okay? Um, We're going to take this all the way to, to Advent. I really feel like Hebrews is this significant and important that we just got to slow down and take our time going through it and really enjoy it. I mean, this is, you shouldn't have this, but this is my favorite book of the Bible. I, I did my master's thesis in this book of the Bible, and I love it. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of quirky. I believe that Hebrews is not necessarily a letter or an epistle. I believe it is a sermon. I think it is a very polished, poignant sermon written to both a Hebrew and a Greek audience. And we can talk about this, but even how the, this, this book builds and the application of this book, it, it, it's different than a normal epistle would look like. The Greek, if you're into the Greek stuff, I enjoy the Greek languages, the original languages. This is hard Greek. This is like... Attic level, almost Greek. This is like Luke Greek. This is, this is very polished. I mean, you read like four or five verses, and you're looking for the main verb. And you're like, where is it? Where is it? And you're trying to find like, okay, that supports this. And you're trying to construct the sentence in English, what makes perfect sense in Greek. It is beautiful. It is articulate. Every word carries such weight in this book. I thoroughly enjoy this. And so we see in the first two chapters, Jesus is greater than the angels. The message he brings is the greatest message of all time. It is the message that Jesus Christ, that God himself has come to renew and redeem all of creation to himself. It's such a beautiful message. A wonderful book, and I hope that as we go through this, some of that beauty will become very aware and alive to you. So if you've got your Bibles, um, open them up to Hebrews chapter 3, where we're going to begin this morning. And if you don't have your Bibles, grab a pew Bible, it's page 1002 in your pew Bible, grab a pew Bible in front of you, open that up, and and read along with us as we go through this text. We're only going to look at the first six verses of chapter 3 today. Um, Like I said, we're going to slow down a little bit because there's a really big significant shift in subject matter um, starting in verse 7. And I really want to spend a lot of time talking about entering into rest that, that, that we're going to talk about next week. But this week we're going to talk about another comparison between Jesus and a huge figurehead in the history of the Bible, Moses. So read along with me here. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of glory, more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our Father God, Lord, I just pray that as we dive into this text, I pray your Holy Spirit would move right now, for it is your Spirit that teaches us the significance and the meaning of this text. It is your Spirit that changes our hearts, and pray we just pray, Father God, that your Spirit would speak. Change our hearts, change our lives challenge us this morning for your glory for your your kingdom work in Jesus name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit amen the book of Hebrews is going to have a series of therefore statements and when you're studying the book of Hebrews you're, that's one of the perplexing things you have to do is is it, is it referring to what's been said already or to what's being said forward? I believe the author of Hebrews here, again, which I thought Dwight handled that very well, and, and telling you we don't know the answer, okay? And a lot of us have great, great um, possibilities to this but let's humble ourselves for a second there are thousands years of of studious men of god who have gone before us and they have all rendered we don't know okay some of them get postulated but but there's there's problems with all the theories that are postulated so i love that we don't know the author of this and if god wanted us to know the author he would have made it revealed clearly to us the point of this book is not who wrote it. The point of this book is Jesus Christ. amen. It's Jesus. It's like the author doesn't even want his name known, doesn't put his name to the thing, because this thing is about Jesus. Okay? And so that is where our focus remains. So therefore, he says, and based upon what has been previously said based upon the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels, that we're not to fear the angels, but we're to understand their role as ministering servants to the saints. Rather, we're supposed to be in awe of Jesus Christ at the revelation he brings, his power, his might, his glory. Therefore, based upon that, holy brothers, and you can say holy brothers and sisters here, this is a general term for the saints, partners, I love that word. That's quite literally what the Greek means there, Partners in a heavenly calling. Consider is what the ESV says here. Weak sauce. Okay, sometimes English language the words we choose don't fully express the depth of what that word means. If you were to look in the the New Living Translation, it says, "Think carefully, slow down, hit the brakes, ponder, set your mind upon Jesus Christ." The NIV says, fix your thoughts. The New English Translation says, take note. This is like screaming off the text, like, take note, think upon, carefully consider Jesus Christ. Don't be flippant with your thoughts about the Savior Study. Study. Absolutely, Curtis. Study this. Dive into it. This is going to get deep. It's going to get hard to wrestle through. You're going to have your mind blown at different moments of this text. It's okay. It's about Jesus. Carefully consider what you're studying. What's very interesting here is the term here that he goes on to say, consider Jesus the, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The author could have chosen to use a very familiar term when it talks about one sent by God or a messenger carrying God's message, and that word would have been angelos, which would have been an angel. But he wants to do what? He wants to clearly set apart Jesus from the angels, and so he uses the word apostolon, which is the Greek word for sent one. Jesus is greater than the angels. He is the sent one. The high priest of our confession, Jesus, who was faithful to the one who appointed him. We see in the gospel of John over and over again that Jesus demonstrated his love towards the father by his obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus perfectly obeyed God, unlike anybody else in the history of the world. Jesus, you never have a moment where Jesus let God down, or Jesus disappointed the Father. He perfectly acted in obedience to the Father and the Father's will. This sent one, this high priest is without sin and perfect subjection to the will of the Father. Yeah, it's something that we don't consider enough, that we often think of subjection or subjecting ourselves to one other person as this result of the fall. But I want to give you to you this beautiful example of the Trinity once again, that within the Godhead, one God, three persons, right? Jesus submits to the will of the Father, and, and the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Even within the perfect Godhead, they subject themselves, not because they're less powerful, not because they lack in any way, but because that's what God is designed to do and to be. And it's this perfect example of what it looks like within the Godhead. And so we can, therefore, place ourselves in perfect submission to the will of God because we see this perfect example of submission by Jesus Christ to the will of the Father. He is the faithful one. Just as Moses regarding his house. All right, our kids are in here with us this morning. We're not able to have Kidville this morning. Our Kidville workers are off having fun and doing some really cool things this morning. And so we're celebrating what they're doing. And so parents, you know, if you were expecting Kidville this morning, we apologize to you for that. But I really enjoy having the kids in our service sometimes. And by the way, your kids are doing awesome. So I got a kid question right now. Who's Moses? Who's Moses? All right, Kira pastor's kid here we go he is, tell me something he did he saved the people. okay so he led them out of egypt who saved the people god saved the people he used he used who what? he used moses right which people what were the name of the people the israelites, the israelites. all right somebody else tell me something about moses yes what you got <laughs> Okay, I'm pretty sure he did, especially when he's on his way to see Pharaoh, right? He was praying not to lose maybe his head. That would, yeah, absolutely. Good. Somebody else. Here we go. He he was part of that, wasn't he? He stretched out his staff, didn't he? And God used him, and he absolutely he walked on dry ground, right? Great. Somebody else. Oh, come on, kids. Yeah, what you got? Absolutely, God had God gave him those big stone tablets. He kind of messed up with the first set, didn't he? Yeah, but wait, luckily God said, "You know, hey, here's another set, right?" Yeah, absolutely. So, so Moses is this this key figurehead in, in in the history of the Jewish people, in the history of the Old Testament. Moses is this this really center figurehead. In fact, when when Jesus is being considered, like heretic they're saying you're not abiding by what Moses said and by what Abraham said and by saying and Moses was, was really in the minds of the Israelites, the ultimate high priest would have been Moses and the mind of the people. And God in a few, cha- or in a few chapters are going to deal with with comparing Jesus to Abraham, but we'll get there in a little bit but right here it's Moses and this and, and the text is saying Moses is good. They're not poo-pooing Moses. Again, this isn't about bad versus good. This is a good thing and the better thing. Moses was drawn from the water and and by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Pharaoh's household, and yet he chose to reject living in Pharaoh's household and and to follow after being part of God's people. He went about things wrongly. He took matters into his own hand and he killed one of the egyptian slave masters and he had to flee for a time and in that time period in the desert god called him to go back moses was not a man initially of great faith moses struggled with believing that god could use him could speak through him and god was patient with moses moses went back went before pharaoh God brings plagues upon Egypt. Moses leads the, the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea on, to, on dry ground to the other side. Puts the, God causes the waters to collapse back over, wipes out the Egyptian army, and Moses begins to lead God's people into the wilderness for how many years? It wasn't supposed to be 40, was it? And that's going to be really important next week when we talk about this. It's supposed to have been 20 years. 20 years to travel to the promised land, but because of a faithless people, that generation needed to die out and a new generation needed to rise up. Could you imagine being in charge (laughs) of hundreds of thousands of people, whining, complaining, like... We, we're going to die of thirst out here we're going to die of not eating food out here we get manna from heaven that can I only imagine tastes like amazingness but we're tired of it so we need bread and so god i mean meat and so god provides meat in these forms of these birds that come down and and they're complaining about the birds because they're you know it was just like can you imagine leading these people <laughs> you give moses some props now he, he didn't do it perfectly did he But he was faithful in God's house. God gave Moses the vision to create the tabernacle and to have the tabernacle designed and built. And he was faithful in constructing that tabernacle in accordance with the vision that God had given him. And Moses was faithful in overseeing that what took place when that tabernacle was desiring and honoring and glorifying to God. He was faithful. And the Israelite people rightly look back at Moses and go, that guy loved God. That guy was in relationship with God. He had a heart for God. He was passionate to see God rule and reign in the hearts and lives of the Israelite people. Moses was a great guy. And he is venerated and he is honored amongst the Israelite people. But he pales in comparison to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Well, the text goes on to say here, for this one was counted worthy of greater glory than Moses, just as greater honor has the builder of the house than the house. Okay, we've got some house builders in here. John, this is a great example. I was thinking of you this week, right? Like, so John is an engineer, he designs houses and he designs these cool things in houses, right? You don't look at the house and say, man, that house just really did a good job of building itself. It's like, like no, you say, who designed that thing? Like, you drive by some of John's engineering works, and you're like, oh, I want to know who did that, right? Moses was the guy that, that, that helped be part of the house. But Jesus, it's going to tell us here in this text, is the son. And he's over the house, which is very significant. goes on was built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The Greek language here makes a very pointed comparison, and it uses what we call Mende construction, which is completely boring to you. Don't worry about that, but it's super cool to geeks like me. And it says, basically, on the one hand, over here, you've got Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken What's interesting, he, he uses the term here that is different from what the term that we're used to in the New Testament for servant, which is often termed bond servant. This term for servant is one who renders devoted service, especially as an attendant in, in, a, in a, like a, a tabernacle setting. So Moses was super faithful in carrying out all the things within the tabernacle and making sure the sacrifices were rightly done and making sure people were were cleansed, they were supposed to be cleansed and taking care of these things. Moses was really, really faithful in handling all that. But notice sometimes prepositional phrases are really important. Moses was faithful in, in God's house. But on the other hand, Christ is the faithful son of, over God's house and we are his house while Moses was faithful in this physical structure this building Jesus is faithful over the new temple which is us and I want to pause here for a second There's a lesson we need to learn in regards to building and temples in the New Testament. When the New Testament comes along, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell. The presence of God indwells who? Us, Christians, the people of God. We are now the temple, okay, God's temple. This is a building. This is not the church. We are the church. We are the temple of God. We are who God, Jesus Christ, is over. We are the called people of God for the purposes of God. Moses was a super faithful servant in regard to working in this tabernacle. Jesus is the greater because he oversees the church, his people, and he rightly correctly handles all things that a high priest would handle for us, his people. He is greater than Moses. Oftentimes when we do studies in the Bible, we challenge people to ask the text, who is God? Well, in this text we see that Jesus Christ is revealed as God as the high priest And as the faithful servant, as as the faithful sent one. Well, what is he doing? He is over. He is faithfully being obedient to the will of the Father as he tends to his church. Well, then who are we? According to this, we're his house, we're his church. We're his body of believers. We're called out for his purposes. And what is the purpose that we're called out for? What are we to be doing? Great question. Very glad you asked. We are his house. Notice this statement. If we hold fast to our boldness and the pride of our hope. The author of Hebrews is ultra clear here on the application of this understanding of who God is. He doesn't leave any room for doubt. The application of understanding that Jesus is greater than Moses and he is over his house is that we have great boldness. You're not going to like this term. I didn't like this term. I started diving into this term, and sometimes you start diving into things, you're like, I can't forget this now. I've started learning this, and I can't unlearn this. I'd like to. This term is amazing. And and BDAG, which is one of the major lexicons of Greek, it says this. It's a use of speech, this word for boldness, that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. It is outspokenness. It is frankness. It is plainness. It is, and the next definition he gives is openness, develops into openness to the public before whom speaking and actions take place, a state of boldness and confidence, courage, boldness, fearlessness. Stop. Are you kidding me? Like. If I really believe this, if I am the house of God, this is supposed to be my life. But I don't think it does a good job of describing the church. Because this boldness takes place, notice the definition here, in a public setting. We're bold here. Man, I hear amens and I hear praise the Lord's. And when we're doing a creed, people are loud and people, it's great. We're bold here. But the boldness that is being talked about is not in this setting. It is out there. If we believe we are the house of God, that Christ is over us and that He's greater than Moses, then it's sending us out to be bold with this message. Jesus is greater. Oh, you think angels are cool? You got all those angel, there's whole websites out there, like, like weird, weird stuff, like completely disassociated with scripture at all, but like wear your magic little angel pin, and you're going to have this little fairy thing happening over you, and it's this protection. You'll hear people get on airplanes, I don't fly without my angel pin, like, like, wow, that's great. You know, let me tell you about the one who will save you if you were to go down, right? Brothers and sisters, like, seriously, Jesus is greater than the angels, We need to be bold in that proclamation like, hey, angels are great, but Jesus is greater. The message they brought was good, but the message that Jesus brings is life-saving. It's eternal. You think Moses is great? Yeah, he did a lot of great things. He was patient with God's people, sometimes not so patient, but he led them and he was faithful to be obedient in God's house. But Jesus is greater because Jesus is over the house. God made the house. Jesus is over God, what God made. And it's, it's this understanding that we are to be bold. We are to be courageous with this knowledge. The idea of this, brothers and sisters, is that we hear this word and we're changed by it. And because we're changed by it, we go tell somebody about it. Amen. And then we're also to hold fast. And, and, and I'm not a big fan of, of how the ESV renders this. I, quite literally, the way the Greek is set up here, it's the pride of our hope. Oftentimes in the church, we are very careful about this word pride. We don't want to be arrogant people, but this is one time the scripture says if you understand the power and majesty of Jesus being greater than Moses and Jesus being over the house of God, that he is. Our bridegroom, and we, or he is the groom, and we are the bride. Amen. If you understand this, then you should have pride, Amen. and that you have hope, Amen. and your hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. That God Himself has come to renew and redeem all of creation to Himself. That is our hope. That is the gospel, and we're to have great pride. That. Not pride that is puffed up and arrogant and that spits in other people's faith, but pride that is confident. Pride that is full of joy. Pride that, like, man, the world is going hard, and the places that the world seems to be going in, we're heading to another election year. This year's gonna be hard, people. Like I love football, but I'm just gonna have to like find some way to like fast forward through, through commercials when I don't have direct TV anymore. Like, I, you know, because it's gonna be hard. You're gonna hear so much rhetoric and so much messages out there. But wait a minute, as Christians, I can be bold and I know that Jesus is greater. And I can have pride in my hope. And that guess what? It doesn't matter what's going on in the world, my hope is in the one who is coming to redeem all things to himself. Our pride, our boldness isn't contingent on what's going on in this world. I want to close with this video. I don't often do videos, but every once in a while so hopefully when I do them, they're, they're a little more effectual. I'll give you quite just a little snid bit of a setting and then I'll come finish it when it's over. This is by Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge how'd you like a name like that you have to listen to the full sermon he gets some good jokes on why he's not named Abednego (laughs) he is a black pastor and this sermon comes and is delivered in 1976 in Detroit and I'll tell you why that's so significant after the video
1: The Bible says he's a king of the Jews, he's a king of Israel, he's a king of righteousness, he's a king of the ages, he's a king of heaven, he's a king of glory, he's a king of kings, and he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in turnless form. He's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's impurely powerful, and he's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's Son, he's a sinner's savior, he's the centerpiece of civilization, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, where he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges And He delivers the captives. He defends the feast, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a dull way of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable, he's indescribable, yeah, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible, you can't get him out of your mouth, you can't get him off of your hands, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him, well, Pharisees couldn't stand it. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no fetish And he'll have no successor. Euclidean, beat him, and he's not going to so resign. That's
0: my... That whole sermon is available on YouTube. It's in about an hour and five minutes. In 1967, the riots in Detroit took place. Things have gotten hard for the automaking industry in Detroit. If you've ever visited Detroit, the whole city revolves around the automaking industry. Things got hard. The white population started enacting unfair mortgage laws and practices so that the whites could leave Detroit and go to the suburbs, but kept the black population there. Racism was rampant. and in 1967, the city was ravaged by these riots. In 1976 Dr. Lockridge comes and delivers this sermon to a very broken people. I couldn't imagine the courage it would have had to take up, take and stand before these folks who had been mistreated by society, being treated less than human in a lot of ways. But he brought the message of hope. The only message of hope. You see, rebuilding societies is good. Um, Helping to feed the poor is good. Care for the needy is good. But the only thing that brings eternal, lasting change is the message of Jesus Christ. He's the greater Christy and I and the kids, we stayed intentionally in downtown Detroit. And not to think that we're such good people for it, but we wanted to be there to see what was going on. And we we drove through neighborhoods that looked like war zones. You can't, unless you've been there, you can't imagine it. And God is doing a cool work. We got to meet with an individual who was doing nonprofit work there in 10,000 people last week. And this man is a devout believer in Jesus Christ. Gathered 10,000 people together to clean up a neighborhood in Detroit. And he's done this every year. The school gave him, I mean, the city gave him a huge middle school that is for a dollar. To house this nonprofit organization, and they're filling it full of job opportunities. They're filling it full of adoption agencies, foster care facilities, places for kids, safe places for kids to come and do sports and do other things there. Bringing the message of hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter what is going on in the world the world needs to hear the message of hope of Jesus the time for us to be cowardly and fearful has got to god has got to go away Amen. we're living in a world that's broken and it needs the hope of Christ it's Jesus it's not a complicated message and we've made it more complicated than it should be and let me tell you something, people probably won't care to hear what you have to, to say until they know that you care for them. You see, you don't walk into Detroit. The, the guy was telling us how his ministry began there and stuff. You don't go into Detroit bringing a message of, of Jesus just proclaiming it from a street corner. We, we counted in some neighborhoods on one block, four or five churches on one block. What they need is people to come in and love them and care for them and be with them and bring the gospel message alongside the hard work and, uh, and, and ministering to the brokenness. But we have brokenness here. We have kids in need here. We have homeless here. We have people that can't hardly afford to live here and are hanging on by a bare thread and this doing this bag thing is, is such a simple way for us to mend them. but do we know anybody who's in need? Do we know anybody who's hurting? Are we taking the time to get to know that? Or, you know what? People move to Chelan. This is what the demographics say. People move here to retire to be comfortable and establish their own private little lives. But the church says, no. The church screams, no." The good news of retirement is you got more time to serve God. That's the good news of retirement. You don't have to work in a job and spend as much time in a job. But if you have a job, you get to use that for the glory of God too. And I want to encourage our moms, if you're a stay-at-home mom, don't let that be an excuse for you to withdraw from your neighborhood. Your kids need to see you on mission. This is important. The message of Hebrews is simple. If you believe, like he says, you are his house, if. So if you're lacking boldness and confidence, Hebrews gives us these little cold trickles down the back of our spines that makes us aware, wait a minute. If I really believe this, this should change me and should change how I proclaim Jesus. please join with me in prayer Father God thank you thank you for the life of Dr. Lockridge his ministry to over 100,000 individuals and he continued for 40 years in one church family to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ I thank you for his recorded message that we can hear this morning and it challenges us do we know him Do we know him? Do we believe this about Jesus? Because if we do, it's a calling out. It's it's a pushing us out. It's a pushing us away from our comforts and what feels good into a world that that is broken. And that is hurting and that is in need. And it's a world that won't be gracious towards us. It's a world that won't happily receive us. It's a world that will be skeptical And that we'll have to earn the right to be heard by being present and loving them in the midst of brokenness. Thank you, Father, for giving us this calling. For giving us the book of Hebrews. To teach us what it looks like to love God. To love people. And to make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. The power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. For visiting with us this morning, one of the things that we enjoy doing is sharing God's stories. Um, we moved it to this kind of time in our service so that we could not have community interrupted so much, but um, flow into it and then flow into this and and celebrate quite literally what God is doing. And, and I'm going to ask this morning, um, like. Some people in boldness, and Martin's going to start us off. I love it. His hand's going up, so Martin's going to show show the way to build boldness this morning.
2: I'd like to re- tell you a story that happened a couple of years ago with my life, and uh, uh, I've been thinking about sharing it and keep putting it off and putting it off, but I think today's the day. Uh, Lois and uh, my wife, Janine, had been uh, making pies to serve with the people up at Regency. And uh, this was their last Sunday time to be there. And they were going to be transferred down to Wenatchee. And uh, later, as we were getting ready to leave, I had this notion that I should talk to some of the people, some of my friends that were in the group there. And maybe for the last time. And as I walked over to where Kip McClellan was uh, seated, and he was crying. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, what's, what's wrong? And I said, what, what, uh, what's the matter? Do you, do you want to receive Christ? And he said, yes, I do. Mm. And I had talked to him several times before, and he said, no, no, I don't, I don't need that. Well, now all of a sudden, he says, I need it. And uh, I started to go back to where uh, Janine was preparing our stuff to take home, and uh, I passed another guy that was crying. And I stopped and asked him, I said, would you like to receive Christ? He said, yes. And uh, he was probably the least person I would ever expect to ask that question. He, I, we used to have him in a, on a committee that I was on and we'd have to call a tavern to get him to come out and meet with us. <laughs> and you know, I thought, what in the world does he want Christ in his life for? But he did. And he nodded yes, and I prayed with him and suggested that he get a Bible and read it because I didn't think he really knew too much about what was going on. And I've thought about these two men uh, many times and wondered, what if I hadn't gone back Amen. to talk to him Amen. and uh, especially asked that important question? i may I pray that you also will be on the alert for to find someone with needs like that. Yes. Jesus is his they, they they wants to be in their lives yes. and that they share that they might share them with others too yes. and it was that I just thought that maybe it would be good to share that story with you. You just never know when people are going to come and want to be saved. Amen. Amen.
3: So as you know, we had two weeks vacation, and it was different than other vacations. I think a lot of times we go oh, vacation, like oh let's just go put our feet up and just relax and like just maybe um, tune out the world a little bit. Um, but it was it was different this time around, and just like wanting to just bring God's stories home, I guess, um, to our LSC family. Um, and so we were just praying just for opportunities, I and mean, we were going to see his brother, who's a pretty new um, pastor there in Xenia, and just the times of um, seeing God at work in their body, and we got to, our, the Sunday that we were there, his brother actually didn't preach, it was a missionary, and it was honestly the best missionary talk I ever heard, because everything that they were saying and doing, which is in, what country was that? India in India, but it was, anyways. Um, The way that they're living, because they can't be proclaiming Jesus from the the corner in the church building, but the relationships that they're having, it's been, you know, just steadfast. Everything that he was saying was like, everything that we're (laughs) learning about and and, and wanting to to live here. And so that was pretty encouraging. Um, We had, again, we went up to... um, uh, Michigan to meet up with some old friends and some new friends and meet people. And it was just very humbling because just in we were going up to meet one couple and before we knew it, they had brought four other couples and just hearing each other's stories and they just stopped and they just put their hands on us and prayed um, for us, for our family, for LSE. Um, like who does that? <laughs> like, um, it was pretty humbling. Um, and then in just mentioning, like Scott was mentioning that, um, his name's Chris Lambert. He's the nonprofit um, guy I've called Life Remodeled, and we just learned about it that night. One of the couples were talking about it. The very next day from our um, VRBO um, host, who's not yet a believer, um, has a very, quite different lifestyle, um, but just he knew, like, he sent me this message saying, hey, just so you know, like this Life Remodeled, this is going on in your area starting Monday. And we were like, how, cool, like, does he, does he, does, he doesn't know Scott's a pastor, he doesn't know we're believers that I know, yeah. we prayed that the Holy Spirit would kind of be, um, he would just know there was something different um, about us, and even how we cared for his home while we were there. And um, And then, like, literally, like, two days later, the friend that we had gone to meet said, hey, I'm taking you to meet this Chris Lambert guy, I just think you should hear his Story, and he should hear your guys' story. And and I just thought, how do you? I mean, this guy is going to be in charge of over 10,000 volunteers, 600 blocks, uh, is it three, no, 300 blocks of re- restoration in six days? And people come out of the works and they don't present it as a Christian organization because he really is desires that mix of believers with not yet believers and. Relationships, like it was just this, and that he took time to just talk with us and share like his vision, and um, um, and then stop just to pray for us and pray for LSC. Like, <laughs> I just, it was very, um, I don't know, just um, amazing. I mean, there's a lot more God stories in that, but we just thought, who who are who are we that you would these people would take? time out of their busy lives to just fellowship and, and re um, meet new people and rekindle old um, friendships. And then even Ethan, like, he didn't get to go with us. Um, but even, you know, our home is not a quiet home, and he's going to head back to college tomorrow, and um, but it was just a precious time, even as we prayed for him, like, he had some moments of a silence and stuff just for the Lord to prepare his heart going into this um, third year of college. So I just... It was unlike the other vacations, for sure. Um, so we're tired, but rested and very at peace. And so we just, I just wanted you to, there was other things. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is the VRBO. Like, yeah, we were in Detroit proper. And you could definitely, when we drove in, like, uh, we actually, we dropped our stuff <coughs> off and went to go get a grocery, to a grocery store. And we went a little further, about 20 minutes away, Um because we wanted to go to Trader, like we knew Trader Joe's would be an appropriate place. We didn't know what to We weren't quite sure where we were getting into. Um, and you definitely, when you crossed a line, even Elijah had noticed, he goes, did you see that? I'm like, yeah. It was definitely this um, switch over from definitely poverty and homes, When you know, windows on our street, windows boarded up to a blank. Like they can't keep with the... Um, tearing down of homes. They just can't keep up with that because there are so many. There's a new life growing. But in a, in a place that we could have been very maybe um, fearful, I guess, was, I mean, I slept amazing. Minus the gunshots the last night, but nobody else heard it, just <laughs> me and I watched for the ambulance, but <laughs> that's just my own crazy mind. But, um, but otherwise, we just slept so well, and it was peaceful, and it was just... Um, God just being so good to us. So thank you for your prayers, um, sending us off for a couple weeks. So thank you.